Okay, so today we have Rosa Bird with us and she is a very special guest because she is in fact my mother. Um, and Rosa is a practice lead. We're going to be speaking about um, careers as a woman and things like distance travelled. Um, so I'm going to start by asking you to tell me about your job role. Hi, Millie. Thank you for asking me to come along. Um, so, yeah, I'm a post practice lead. So I work for an organisation called Catch22, um, who run the project called Pause. And Pause works with women that have had repeat removals of children or babies into social care um, as a result of, um, you know, adverse life experience and difficulties they find themselves in. Um, and what we do is work with women and ask them to take a pause in pregnancy for 18 months um, so that they can actually really concentrate on some of those adverse experiences that have led them to the circumstances where they have their children removed. Um, and we work very therapeutically. So the practitioners that I oversee, they work with no more than eight women and they will work in a trauma-informed way to help them whatever they need help with really and at the point they are at so we're not asking women to perhaps give up drinking or give up drugs or leave an abusive partner but we all build a relationship with those women and just support them and as time goes on we find that women start to trust us and start to make some really big changes um, practitioners obviously follow you know, they they don't just randomly work with women. They look at the areas within that woman's life that she needs support with. Um, and we'll try and support her with that. Um, so my job is to oversee the practitioners. Um, I also set pause up. So with the guidelines and um, support from Catch-22 and pause to make sure that we're true to the fidelity of the pause model, which is very specific. Um, to make sure that it is a therapeutic and relationship-based practice. Um, and there are ways of doing that. So that's what I do. That sounds amazing. So you said there that you set um, pause up. How did you come about this, um, it's like setting up? Okay, so when I say set pause up, I don't mean as in the whole thing that was done by two amazing women. Um, that worked in Hackney actually back in 2005 and they noticed the same women coming into hospital having children removed that was Sophie Humphreys and Georgina Perry and they're the ones that actually set up a pilot and as a result of that we now have 28 pause practices up and down the country which is just incredible because we're reaching so many women however how I got to do that role um, I was actually working for the alcohol treatment service in Derby as um, a senior practitioner and I oversaw the, the service and managed the team and you know all of what goes with that and I had a smaller caseload of uh, some of the more complex clients should we say and I saw the job um, advertised as a pause practice lead and I didn't get the job unfortunately but I was offered the um, practitioner role um, and with careful consideration because obviously I was going from kind of a management position back to being a practitioner I decided that actually 
that project meant so much to me because of my own experience. Um, and it felt like something that I really, truly felt that I believed in. So for me, it was a no brainer. And it, it, it's not about the money. It's about feeling that you're having the most impact. And as my job within the alcohol treatment service, I felt that what I was constantly trying to do is get people to work with uh, the clients that came through the doors in a much more therapeutic way, in a much more relationship based way. However, that is really difficult when as a practitioner, you've got 40 people on your books that you have to work with um, and try and help help them to change and to kind of move forward and progress. Um, and obviously, you know, the local council's paying for that service. Um, so they want to see a quick turnover. Um, and I just didn't feel that my heart was in that. You know, people aren't cattle. You can't just expect them to come in and go out and make changes in a short period of time. So actually working for pause felt like the right move to make because it was smaller caseload, relationship based in the sense that, you know, you didn't just sit with them for an hour once a week. You go, to, you, you went and spent time with them wherever they were at, whether it was they were staying at the parents, the boyfriends, their own flat, if they lived on the street, if they're in prison, you go where you're quite tenacious, you'll go wherever they are. And if you need to be with them all day, you'll do that. You'll take them for a bit of food. You'll talk to them about the issues that are going on for them. You know, you model behavior. And so the way you respond to things, you know, they will see that. And within a relationship based kind of practice, um, the way you behave is really important. So for me, um, taking that job was an amazing move. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to be able to apply for the practice lead role. Um, and obviously I'd, I'd been turned down for it. I was told that, you know, I was really good in interview, but I was picked to the post, bless them. But I thought, do you know what? This isn't about, you know, feeling negative and thinking, well, you know, I wasn't accepted that time. You keep going at it. You know, I'm quite sturdy. So it's like I learned from you know, not getting that post. And I found out the reasons for that. And I did whatever I could to kind of um, make sure that I was better armed, really, when I went for the practice lead role. Um, and as a result, I got it. So I was really pleased. Um, so yeah, that's how I managed to get to that point. Sounds incredible. And it sounds like you're very ambitious. Um, so it also sounds like you have your heart and soul in this job. And you mentioned that um, some of it may stem from your personal experience. Now, as your daughter, I know that when you were around 18 years of age, you knew you moved up to Derby. Um, talk about that a little bit. Why did that come about? What happened when you got to Derby? Where did you move from? Speak about that. Well, yeah, that's quite a colourful story. So I'd, um, I left home at 15 and a half and lived um, initially in, in a hostel run by two nuns in Norwich who were just amazing. So I, I left home with my school books in my bag with no intentions of going back because things were very abusive, very unpleasant. Um, yeah, that, that's slightly different story, but I, I'd kind of left at that age, kind of got through school the best I could. Um, now, that's really challenging, trying to learn and 
retain information when you've come from quite a traumatic childhood is really difficult because, you know, the brain behaves very differently and we, we know this um, to be true. However, I did the best I could. So when I went to sixth form as well, I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I did all right at school, but I didn't do terribly well either. And I knew I wanted, I applied to do midwifery actually. Um, and it was Project 2000, it was called. But I also wanted to be a teacher. I gave up on the idea of being a teacher because I thought I was too thick. So I thought, yeah, I completely dismissed that. Um, but I thought, well, we'll give this nursing lark a go. Um, so I moved up to Derby, um, but the it wasn't starting. I didn't hear anything and nothing was starting um, till a couple of years. So I, I kind of had to do something in the meantime. So I kind of booked onto a BTEC at college and thought, well, I'll do that and work. Um, whilst I'm waiting for the other course to start. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of kind of what I did, really. What was the BTEC that you did, sorry? At I did a BTEC National in Caring Services. Mm -hmm. So I, I really wasn't sure. You know, I, I kind of grew up thinking, not thinking very highly of myself and as I've explained you know I didn't do terribly well educationally I would have loved to have gone to uni but people like me didn't do that and when you don't have parents around you kind of supporting you to kind of move forward you don't do it unfortunately so I had some good people in my life but not enough to kind of encourage me to, to go down that path um which is why I ended up doing the BTEC in care. So I, d I didn't really plan the career I've had. And it's interesting that you say I'm ambitious because I never really particularly felt ambitious and still don't. For me, I've always done jobs that I felt were right or felt like I could do for a start. Um, I think for many years, I stayed in the same role for a long time because, well, lots of reasons. But, I, you know, moving up, I think from Norwich to Derby was partly because I had a plan, but also partly because I really didn't know what to do with myself. When you finish sixth form and you don't have family, you just kind of think, well, where do you go from there? Yeah. So yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. And what was, it, what was the job that you was doing while you was doing the BTEC? You mentioned that you... Yeah, so I was working. I mean, I, I was quite you know, I didn't think too much about things. I just cracked on with it. So, you know, I would just rock up to places. If I like the look of a job, I'd just turn up and say, here's a job, basically. <laughs> things are a bit different now, even though it wasn't that long ago. Um, but I, um, there was a job and it, bearing in mind, I was like 19 and the job said, mature person wanted to work with Alzheimer's patients. And I thought, all over that, let's give it a go. So I just rang up and said, hi, my name is Rosa Ollie. I would, you know, really interested in this role. Went to have a chat with them and I got the job. And it was a beautiful job. It, it was just such a lovely environment. So it was working with people who had dementia and Alzheimer's. And the lady that ran it, <clears throat> Maureen and Graham, they were just delightful people. She was actually a mental health nurse. Um, and said to the ladies she worked with on, on the long um, 
stay ward, the long stay mental health ward that, you know, if she ever set her own little place up, she'd get them out and she'd look after them. And she kept to that. And that's what she did. And she was such an incredible person. I don't know if she even realizes that I think that, but she was just so lovely and gave me an opportunity. Um, so we would do some lovely stuff, sort of memory work with a lot of the, the patients. And I just loved that job, just a really lovely bunch of people. So that's what I did to get myself through college and pay rents and all the rest of it. So, yeah, that's that's what I started off doing, really. Um, you sound quite confident and feisty, even from a young age, just going into job roles that you weren't quite sure of or like yeah. you move into a new city. What would you say to somebody who is wanting to go out there, find a new job, they maybe been stuck in a new job, a job, not a new job, just a job for years. Mm. They want to spread their wings, but they're feeling a bit like, they, they don't want to move out of their safe space. I mean, it was, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because it really depends on what's going on for you at the time. So there are challenges that can come along in, in particularly, well, at one on a man's life, I guess, that make it more challenging to kind of grab opportunities. Um, but for me at that point, it's funny because you say, it, it, you know, it's ambitious and what have you, but uh, for me, it was kind of survival, like, kind of I had to get a job and I, I knew I wanted to do it in an environment that I felt comfortable in which is why I went down that path but there's an element of happen, ha, happenstance I think they call it that I just kind of happened upon a path which led to another path and another path yeah. um, but I think it's it's kind of really looking at your options and Somebody said to me at school once, actually, the world is your oyster, Rosa. And I never really got it. I was, you know, I kind of understood it, but I didn't really feel what that meant. And now I do. It's like, don't set your sights too low. You can, you know, I could have really worked in anywhere in the world, actually. Um, you know, volunteer work overseas. And when it's just yourself... You don't have to worry too much as long as, you know, you're safe and you've got, you know, a roof over your head and food in your belly. You can do whatever you want and try new things and don't be afraid of failure. I think as well, I think when you're younger, um, that sense of you can try anything is stronger. I think as you get older, you become more nervous about stuff because you have more responsibilities and there's a lot more at stake, I guess. Um, but for me at that point, it was just like, I have to get a job. Let's just go for it. Yeah. And that's kind of what you've got to do, I think. Um, so how have you kind of felt as a woman in the workplace? Has it always been easy for you as a woman to kind of work your way up or have you had obstacles? Um, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, I can't give you any, you know, shocking stories about how badly I've been treated as a woman throughout my career, because that would be untrue. Um, but there are things that I've had to kind of overcome. So, you know, just in the way I think that as a woman, I was treated by male colleagues at different points in my life, you know, was probably this day and age deemed as highly inappropriate and really um 
not great. And I think, you know, looking back, I, I kind of wouldn't tolerate the kind of um, the subtleties of how women are treated. Um, I wouldn't kind of tolerate that now, you know, the expectation that it's okay to give your female colleague hugs. I think if, if that happens now, I'd be mortified. I'd be like, yeah, that's just really not appropriate. But I think back then, and as a younger woman, actually going into the field of work, um, there's this idea that that was okay. But I think that was indicative of the times as well. So I think things are quite different now. But, you know, I think I, think I probably found it more difficult because I started working in kind of a rehab setting when I was about, how old would I have been? 21. So when I was 21, I started working with ex-drinkers who were tough cookies. You know, they'd worked on docks. They were tough blokes. And along comes this chipper 21-year-old. And, you, you know, you get looks of who do you think you're up. So I've had to prove myself probably a lot harder than most, one being young and being female. And I think that sense of having to prove yourself, I still feel that, but that's more about coming from a, a disadvantaged background um, that was very difficult, very challenging. Expectations for me um, were not great. You know, I think there would have been um, this idea that I've probably been married very, very young with loads of kids, not working. I think that was the expectation, but being who I am, I was like determined that that wasn't going to happen. It's like, yeah, no, I, I you know, I don't know where that sense of um, need to kind of push forward and succeed came from, but I, I think it was probably a survival thing, to be honest. So, you know, even now you feel you have to prove yourself. Um, I have qualifications, but I don't have a professional qualification. So I'm not a qualified nurse or social worker. Um, and even now people will say, oh, are you a nurse or a social worker? And, you know, you can see them looking at you when you say no. And the look is, well, how come you're doing what you're doing if you're not a professional, whatever? So, you know, you, you have to constantly prove yourself and that can be quite challenging. Um, so when you get knockbacks, that can be, it feel like a double blow because, you know, it takes you right back from that place you came from, which was nothing, um, and worked really hard to get where you are. And then when you get a knockback, it kind of knocks you back 10 to the dozen. Um, but, you know, you, you just kind of have to brush that shit off and get on with it because you will get knockbacks. You know, that's kind of part of life. You've got to stand up, stand to your full height, as somebody I used to work with. My lovely friend Irene used to always say, Rosa, you've got to stand to your full height and give it all you've got. And she's absolutely right. And that, that, that's what you do. So what would you tell a younger you then? If, um, or like a girl that's maybe yeah. in the same sort of position as you as a younger person? Wow, that's... That's quite a, I've often thought about that. Radio One were doing something recently where they were asking you to write a letter to your young self. And I used to think about it on the drive into work before COVID. 
I used to think about what I'd actually put and I thought my gosh that that's actually quite a big bit of that'd be a big bit of work if I was doing that with one of the ladies that we work with that that's a big intervention um so yeah I have thought about that and I think I would tell myself to kind of put my shoulders back and feel as good as anybody else. Yeah. That sense of um, not being good enough, that sense of, you know, it's someone will come along and take it away from you and all of that kind of stuff. I think I would say to my younger self, you put your shoulders back, you go out there and you achieve and you can do it. Yeah. And it would be those kind of words of encouragement. Yeah. Um the kind of words of encouragement perhaps a parent would give a child yeah definitely. um so all in all it sounds like you have kind of come from not the best upbringing and you found yourself in a very good place with your career um so how is home life now you obviously said that um it wasn't good um so how just how is it now well childhood was it's a complete contrast to my life now um you know I didn't grow up with my mother my father was an absolute tyrant um lots of siblings who I don't see the only sibling that I was close to um unfortunately died um eight years ago which is terribly sad she left behind five children um, you know, I experienced neglect, poverty, hunger. Um, we, I used to steal dog biscuits and hide them in the bedroom under my pillows so that we could eat them at night when we got hungry because we wouldn't be able to sleep. So it, it, it was appalling. Um, but now, you know, I've got a roof over my head. I'm with um, somebody who is an incredible person to be around, very supportive, um, and kind of actually makes me feel that like I can achieve anything I want to. And I would say that actually, um, since being with them, they've made me realise that actually I can achieve so much. So I think it is really important to have people around you um, that really value you and really kind of understand who you are. And they're there to kind of bolster you and give you the support you need. That is so vital. And it doesn't matter if it's not family, if it's not blood, because as I've always said, Millie, friends are the new family. You know, they, they're really important in your life. So it's good to have good people around you. And actually, despite the fact that I've got a lovely home and a fab car and all the rest of it, actually, that's what's important. My two kids are just lovely people. And... I've got amazing people around me. So yeah, that's good. That was amazing. It sounds like you really value things that are that not materialistic. You really value like the true, like the true meaning of life to you is just like happiness and people and joy. Um, it sounds amazing. It sounds like you've been through an incredible journey through life and from where you were to where you are now just sounds amazing um would you like to leave us with a quote I would love to leave you with a quote so when I was working at the alcohol treatment center I feel like I keep mentioning people because I feel like 
they've been really important people in my life. And as I said, you know, it, the people you meet along the way are so important. And I worked, I won't disclose anything of confidentiality, but I worked with this chap um, and tried to support him through his awful alcoholism. And when I left, he brought me to tears because he bought me. Um, now, this is a guy, a tough guy that's been through a lot, you know, was trying to get through life, lived on benefits. But he bought me the most amazing little picture that had been kind of embroidered onto Hessian. And in it, it said, only look back to see how far you've come. And I still have that in my house now. And it's so right. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Then I'm going to say more. We're not going to keep pulling your Rosa. And <laughs> um, that was just an interview. And yeah, thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.